When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. We've got a real... uh a real optimistic one today, my friends. Uh, we're talking about the hazard of natural disaster. And th- this was inspired in part by some earlier conversations we had on and off air. Uh, but most recently, it was inspired by uh, a moment in our episode on the Bronze Age collapse, where we found that several different scientists propose a volcanic eruption in Iceland, of all places, may have played a direct role in that uh, that collapse that went across multiple large civilizations. And one of the questions we asked is, how could this have such a tremendous impact on these civilizations? Yeah, it's a real whodunit. Uh, it turns out it was people. Yeah. Well, well. People were the ones in the end who, you know, weld a, who would hold a weapon and attack, right, someone. But we're, we're looking at the root causes of what 
what made those people decide that it was the correct time to attack a city, That's to revolt. A very, a very to, good point. You know? And I mean, it has, a, you know, it kind of harkens back to a couple other episodes, Ben, that we did in the past, specifically thinking about the solar activity and mass excitability and humans, how we react to solar changes, as well as the, the episode, Can Weather Make You Crazy?, where we, we looked at how weather itself can affect our minds and our moods and our decision-making. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. And that's one of, uh, that's still one of my favorite titles of a show we've done. I think it was, we called uh, the solar excitability one, Slaves to the Sun, which sounds like a 1970s band mm-hmm. or maybe like a, um, oh, what's what's that all Australian group? Uh, Auntie Donna? Uh, no, oh no! Uh, Silver Empire, Empire of the Sun. Yes, love, their love album that. would be Slaves to the Sun. Uh, but you guys are right, and there are other examples of this. Uh, but first, we need to examine what we mean when we say natural disaster. So here are the facts. Really quickly, just just as a caveat, this isn't a leaf blower today, folks, but there is a small screaming child in my house. So if you hear that, uh, just know, no one, it's okay, everything's fine. My daughter is babysitting for her little sister in the other room, and I don't have the heart to go down there and tell them to keep it to pipe down. I'm going to text them, shush, see what happens, but just wanted to put that out there. Speaking of natural disasters, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, no, your child is... Not just a natural. So. No, <laughs> she is. She is an unnatural abomination. Is what she is. Okay, so back to natural disasters. We all use this phrase all the time, and we have a pretty good sense of what it means. It's a catastrophic event that comes from the natural processes of planet Earth. Earth was doing this stuff all the time. We only call it a disaster because it's bad for humanity. It's still, you know, we're a very small piece of this. This includes all the stuff you've heard before, all the biblical fire and brimstone things, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, and so on. Yeah, even wildfires can be put in there, especially if they are caused by lightning uh, and drought conditions. And in previous episodes, we've explored humanity's ongoing conflict with these things that we consider natural disasters, including... The question of whether or not in the past, at some point, we have found a way to harness these things, to send them out against a a country with which we are uh, having conflict, right? Or whether or not we can harness the weather in some other way for a good purpose. Um, And, you know, you you may remember cloud seeding as something we explored. Even how something that doesn't seem connected to this topic, like fracking, can actually cause things like earthquakes, and, you know, that's some creepy stuff. Well, and I was being a smart aleck at the top of the show, and I said it's a whodunit. Oh, turns out it was people. I was just, you know, winking and nodding at climate change. I mean, you can call it a natural disaster all day long, but the activities of humans, to a varying degree, depending on which scientist you ask, probably has something to do with the uh, frequency of these natural disasters. That's, that, that's all. Frequency and severity, right? Mm, also yeah. true, yes. So it goes, I would be careful with the word harness, however, because a harness could mean a couple of things. It could mean opportunism after a disaster strikes, and it could mean to the extreme degree, which I think we've proven fairly conclusively, manufacturing 
of disaster. I I would point to cloud seeding operations on the U.S. side in the Vietnam War as uh, weaponized weather. That's an example of, of creating natural disasters, in that case specifically flooding. And to the point about fracking that you make, Matt, which I greatly appreciate, uh, we don't have evidence that someone purposefully created earthquakes with fracking. But we do have evidence that fracking has an unforeseen side effect, which is increasing the likelihood of earthquakes by a measurable amount. Yeah, I think I think by using a harness, I was going back to some of the allegations about Tesla and building a machine that could actually create an earthquake uh, that we looked at a long time ago. But yeah. Uh, yeah, Wardcliffe Tower uh, is related to that, I believe. And, um, you know, the thing about Tesla that still bugs me is what happened to his notes after after he passed away. You know, that that's the big, big piece of that conspiracy. So here's something that a lot of people throughout history have had a big problem with in the world of natural disasters. It's this. Natural disasters are non-discriminatory. A hurricane doesn't just hit the poor zip codes. You know what I mean? An earthquake doesn't not shake a church or a mansion. It shakes everything that it hits. So we as humans just simply try to survive uh, when these things strike, get ourselves back together and soldier on. It reminds me of something, I can't remember which show I talked about this on or, or whether it was just us hanging out off air, but it reminds me of how humbling birds are for humanity. Think about it. We have so much technology. We can take people to the moon. For Pete's sake, uh, we are going to, as a species, accomplish our first round trip to an asteroid, uh, which started in 2016, just landed, took a sample of an asteroid. It'll be back in 2023. But there's one thing we can't do. We can't stop birds from crapping on things. We haven't figured it out. The closest technology we have for that is either eradicating birds, which I know you're on board with, Noel, or building roofs. So the natural or umbrellas, world, you know, the umbrella is a is a, is a second, a strong second. I feel like an umbrella is a portable roof. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know what, Ben? When you put it like that, you got me. Well, and there are there are specific things you can put on, let's say, railings in other places that will prevent birds from landing there or will discourage birds from landing in certain areas. Yeah, you see them in, like, subway stations or signage for storefronts and strip malls and things like that. They're like little spikes. But that can't stop from the poop from coming out. Oh, absolutely. This strengthens our example, too, because when we, when we think about that, building those deterrents on benches or statues or the eaves of... Uh, roofs and buildings, it's it's a lot like the way we would try to build levees, right? We would try to shore up a coastline. We can't stop a hurricane any more than we can stop birds from pooping everywhere. We can only try to mitigate the disaster and the potential aftermath. So that's why the bulk of scientific research into natural disaster doesn't really it doesn't really hinge on how we can stop these historically it hinges on how we can predict when these unavoidable events will occur you know what i mean yeah no absolutely yeah there's there's no way to stop that volcano from erupting currently uh, unless you know you you toss a nuke down there and just classify the whole situation which you know 
is an option, I guess. <laughs> At some point. And and every time it happens, we're seeing, especially this year, my goodness, we are seeing it in the United States happen time and time again. A terrible natural disaster occurs. We have somewhat of an outlook on it. We know it's coming for at least a week, few days, maybe, uh, especially with the hurricanes that have been just pummeling the Gulf Coast and other areas. And it rolls through. Power goes out for a lot of people. People lose their homes, just terrible tragedies on a personal human level. And then as a whole, society picks itself up as much as it can, uh, allocates disaster funds as much as it can, and as much as the governments of various states and other places, localities will allow. And then we just keep going until another one hits. Yep. And uh, we hope that we can use our previous experience to better handle these, once again, unavoidable catastrophes. It's, it sounds pretty fatalistic, right? It's an existential crisis of some sort. We're always, as humans dealing with natural disaster, we have a lot in common with the story of Sisyphus. We just keep rolling that great stone we call civilization to the top of a hill to watch it fall back down again and start from square one, we pick ourselves up, we stumble along, and we still, you know, try to build things that will last. There's something beautiful about that when we consider that all of civilization is a lot more like one of those meditative Buddhist sand paintings than we would like to suppose it gets wiped away so easily. You know, I, I uh, recently rewatched the um, anime film Akira. Uh, which is all about destruction of Tokyo and rebuilding of Neo-Tokyo. And it's really fascinating because I watched a little mini documentary about how Japanese culture and their attitude toward technology and their uh, pop culture and in anime and in, in their film uh, world is very much um, driven by the fact that they were in, in large places blown up, you know, by the United States with uh, with the bombing of, of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And uh, what an interesting cultural benchmark to affect the way you think about technology, especially having to completely kind of rebuild society and rely very heavily on technology, but also kind of fear it in a weird way. I thought that was a really interesting point in the documentary. Yeah, and I've, I've heard that... Uh I've heard that line of reasoning before. I think it's I think it's a really compelling theory that has a lot of sand to it. Um, we we see in there a microcosm of a larger historical trend, you know, and it's one that continues today. It's one that is not going to stop every single year. Natural disasters wreak billions upon billions of dollars worth of damage across this planet. Uh, the wealthy, the poor alike any religion any any set of values doesn't matter when the hurricane or the tsunami comes calling in fact they have wrought so much damage that it's difficult to estimate the exact cost uh there's one stat that's interesting um and still just a ballpark from 1985 to 1994 studies show that natural disasters cost about $36 billion a year. Now, from 2005 to 2014, the damage inflicted is around $142 billion. So that means a couple things if we want to unpack it. First, it means that uh, we 
have more stuff to wreck, right? We also have more inflation uh, in general. That's a trend. So we, we just have more potential or more, I guess, liability or risk, people might call it. Uh, but secondly, it means that uh, things are increasing. Inflation alone cannot explain this cost. And studies indicate the damage wrought by natural disasters may go much, much further than a financial bottom line. But what if revolutions uh, are caused not just by human factors, but somehow guided by the planet itself? Well, we're going to talk about that very thing after a quick word from our sponsor. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
here's where it gets crazy. So, are we accusing Earth itself of conspiring to foment revolution? Yes. That sounds, I mean, yeah, we are. It might sound preposterous, but uh, the scary thing is this does seem to be the case. Uh, there's a there's a fascinating paper about this very thing. It's called Natural Disasters and the Risk of Violent Civil Conflict by researchers Philip Nell and Marjolene Righartz. Yes, and in this study, they argue that the occurrences of natural disasters, such as an earthquake, maybe, or a volcanic eruption, maybe a flood, let's say, a hurricane, anything, really anything at all, a heat wave, an epidemic, massive forest fires, a plague, uh, all of this stuff, Whenever there's something like that occurring, it is going to increase the the possibility of some kind of violent conflict within society, or at least the the risk of something like that occurring. And at first you think, no, there's no way those things could be connected. But then you start going down, just go, just go down the pathways of your mind a little bit and imagine how much tension something like that causes within a society and everything from the any kind of government religious whatever the whatever the controlling powers are and the people as well as the people with each other the con the inner conflicts it's it makes so much sense when you if you allow yourself to really to think about it i, I don't know what i'm saying <laughs> but wait but wait guys aren't we in the middle of a disaster and uh, uprising. Fine. We're fine. Everything's are, fine. Everything's we, fine. It feels like you just described what's going on in our world literally right now. I'm just, okay. All right. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. Arguably, humans are the disaster. Uh, if you look at the planet overall, which I know sounds sanctimonious. Uh, so let's <laughs> let's say the disasters that are humans. I, I like where you're going, though, Matt. Could, um, could you trace this out? Because are, are you saying there's some sort of pattern, perhaps? I'm saying there's definitely a pattern, you guys. Uh, if you take a look at the study, uh, or at least what they did for this study, they took data from 187 political units from the year 1950 to 2000, and they were just going through and systematically exploring the relationship between natural disasters, occurrences of any natural disaster, and violent uprisings or um, civil civil conflict within a society, right? The, how do these things work together? And they found something pretty terrifying. We've actually got a quote from it right here. Yes, it says, natural disasters significantly increase the risk of violent civil conflict, both in the short and medium term, specifically in low and middle income countries that have intermediate to high levels of inequality. Jeez. <laughs> okay. Uh, mixed political regimes, jeez. And sluggish economic growth. Rapid onset disasters related to geology and climate seem to pose the highest overall risk, but different dynamics apply to what they call minor and major conflicts. So let me let me walk us back here for a second. Uh, there are some important things. Political units, that's a uh, an umbrella term, or I guess for this show, it's a portable roof term. It describes everything from a local tribe or a community to something like the British Empire. You know what I mean? And that is where we see uh, the different dynamics they're sketching out to what they would call minor and major conflicts. So like a, a regional, 
short-lived conflict between two tribes uh, or a major multi-party conflict like uh, World War II or something. And of course, yes, uh, their study only goes back to 1950. So this is post-World War II. But we know from previous episodes and from a wealth of other research that this is at best a cover version of a very old original song of uh, terror and heartbreak. We looked at earlier civilizations, ancient civilizations that mysteriously disappeared. For centuries, people thought, well, maybe uh, this group of highly advanced uh, people just left this metropolis they worked so hard on because they got tired of it. Maybe they just said, you know what, it's, it's time for a new chapter. But later studies have shown that disaster plays a huge role in this. Uh, we like the, What's the example? Khmer Empire in modern-day Cambodia. There's the, this beautiful former metropolis called Angkor Wat, which you can visit today for a very long time. People didn't know exactly why Angkor Wat went into decline. But now uh, we're pretty sure that it collapsed due to prolonged drought. The weather changed. And when the weather changed, the people had to change their routine and their lives. And the rules of the governing system at that time, uh, those rules no longer applied because they were not able to address the problems people were having. And so the empire collapsed. Yes. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really great point. Well, and, and you know, we, we talked about this. We keep mentioning the Bronze Age collapse, something like that, where we, we thought, or the belief was that somehow this volcanic eruption way over in Iceland had something to do with it. And, and, and as we explored it, we realized that it's not just because a volcano exploded. Like, the volcano exploding it in itself is not what caused the revolutions and the uprisings to occur. It was almost like dominoes were set up for collapse to occur. They were all just sitting there waiting for something to knock them all down, and that volcano just went up. And we're going to get into more details about that here in just a moment. But the the you know one of the first things we need to talk about is the... Uh, limited lifespan over, you know, the past several millennia of a civilization, of a large civilization, especially of an empire, something uh, large and unwieldy. And we've we've seen some things in the past, we've looked at it, but it's, uh, there's this tendency for empires, for big ones, to collapse. A bit of a bit of a schedule there, a bit of a cycle that happens. Some people would argue that's the case. Yeah, you can um, you can read studies that attempt to uh, treat empires like natural disasters in the following ways. They assume that empires are unavoidable, and that the collapse of empires is also likewise unavoidable. 
And so if these two assumptions hold true, then researchers find themselves attempting to do the same thing that uh, scientists concerned with disaster do. They ask themselves, how can we predict this? How can we model it? How can we mitigate the collapse of a civilization? That's where we come into um, the varying theories that civilizations may have some sort of expiration date. You know, one of the numbers that we hear thrown around pretty often is something like 200, 250 years. That should really bother every U.S. resident in the audience today uh, because the U.S. celebrated its bicentennial in 1976. Hey, but we're not an empire, right? We, it's not like we've got troops stationed all over the planet and control a bunch of other territories. Wait nah, a second. Whoa. Wait a I, second. I, I, I want to really quickly, what, the idea of empires being inevitable, is that sort of just a product of like human nature and, and never having enough and just the idea that someone's eventually going to slide into an empire building role just out of pure you know, megalomania, or is it a matter of like organization of society and making sure everyone has everything they need? Because I feel like civilization and empires aren't the same thing. True. There have been a lot of very uncivilized empires. <laughs> no kidding with that one. Uh, yeah, it's an excellent question, Noel. So you will find the argument that empires do not exist in the modern day, that instead we are a somewhat uh, conflicted global group of 190-something countries, right? And that those countries may be nations, they may be civilizations, they are not empires. Uh, we were talking about this off-air, however. I would argue that empires haven't gone away, they have evolved. A corporation can function the way that an empire does, right? A financial institution of a large enough size also functions as an empire. So we could almost call them like shadow empires in some way. Hmm. Interesting. And this goes into what we would define as an empire. And I know that there are a lot of PR departments in various corporations, uh, maybe not an iHeart, uh, that would object to being defined as an empire. An empire is technically a large group of states or countries under a single authority. So the UN is not an empire because it doesn't have the powers of action and oversight that a, a single uh, a single ruling force would have. But the British Empire was an empire because, technically speaking, if the monarch said, "I want to destroy this nation in the Commonwealth," or "I've you know I've never been to India, but they should do what I say," then that's an empire and. Banks can do that. And there is a great article you can read on this specific subject. It's on foreign policy. It's called Empires with Expiration Dates. Fantastic, creepy article from 2009. Uh, we'd recommend it. But there's a quote from that article that I want to read right now, which I think applies to all of this. Quote, an empire, sick, will come into existence and endure so long as the benefits of exerting power over foreign peoples exceed the cost of doing so in the eyes of the imperialists, and so long as the benefits of accepting dominance by a foreign people exceed the costs of resistance in the eyes of the subjects. 
So it, no mystery there, but just think about it. And again, it makes so much sense, but maybe when we're in the midst of struggling for the everyday, we forget this concept that if, if the system that's set in place of control and power doesn't work for everybody, at least to an extent, you're going to have problems with the subjugated, essentially. True. And that applies. I mean, that that's a, a macro level view. I would argue it applies to the uh, micro level of individual human psychology. We are programmed, arguably hardwired, to avoid change until the pain of change becomes less than the pain of the status quo. Right. That's that's honestly, that's what rock bottom is described as sometimes. And now now the question is, uh, do empires hit a rock bottom? And I love that you bring up this quote, Matt, because it clearly it clearly points to that cost benefit analysis that happens for every individual on any given day and ultimately for every nation, every civilization, every what do we call it? Political unit. There we go. That's the umbrella. So now that we have this, we know that historically there is a correlation, uh, a, a dark butterfly effect, right, of an eruption in a country people have never visited, leading to the collapse of their day-to-day lives and civilization. We have to ask ourselves, where are we in media rest here? Because we're part of this story, and that means that it's on us to figure out what happens as disasters accelerate? What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag-A-Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Attention, true crime enthusiasts searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night. Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. So, back to natural disasters, fall of civilization. There is a huge elephant, an enormous badger in the global bag or the room, and it's simply this. If we have compelling evidence that natural disasters can lead to violent revolution, then what can we extrapolate from this information in a world where the frequency of some natural disasters is provably, inarguably accelerating? So just to kind of break it down a little bit, if floods and famine lead to violence and instability, and floods and famine both seem set to happen, then we can assume violence and instability uh, in turn will accompany it. That is the hypothesis here, and it would seem it is a correct hypothesis, at least based on these patterns that we've been looking at. So a topical paper from the Independent Evaluation of Asian Development Bank. Ben, I believe you gave this one uh, high marks for its awkward name, but uh, high levels of rigor in its research. Um, This paper showed that climate-related disasters are indeed on the rise, specifically um, as such, and here's a quote from the paper, uh, intense climate-related disasters, floods, storms, droughts, and heat waves have been on the rise worldwide. At the same time, uh, and coupled with an increasing concentration of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, temperature on average has been rising, have been, temperatures have been rising. And, and are becoming are like this. Yes, yes, enmeshed, uh, and are becoming more variable and more extreme. I think even just observationally, we, we've all seen that here in Georgia. Summers are hotter. Winters feel colder um, from, from year to year. I don't think there's any question about that, just from like going outside. Um, temperatures on average have been rising and are becoming more variable and more extreme. Rainfall has also been more variable and more extreme. And it goes on to consider some main risk factors behind these, uh, these observable features. Yeah, one of one of the biggest problems is so many people live near a coast, and, and when you've got natural disasters, many of them being generated, you know, out in the ocean and then making their way in, um, that's a problem. When there's so many people concentrated along the shores of that ocean, that is a especially in the especially in the case of hurricanes, 
you've got a hurricane generator and it's just out there a little bit and you're right next to it. Oh yeah. And then, and then consider, so there's an important point in this examination, this paper, the phrase more variable and more extreme, right? Having too much water can be as dangerous as not having enough. Uh, we, we're seeing uh, ongoing transformation of ecosystems, right? Desertification of some areas, but then we're also seeing areas uh, transform in terms of monsoon uh, frequency and cadence, which is enormously dangerous because these are, to your point, Matt, heavily populated areas. Historically, in the span of human civilization, in the first few seasons, of course, you want your characters to live by a coast. Uh, there are immense resources there. And now that's coming back to bite us. Uh, so there is rising population exposure. There's also greater population vulnerability. You know, uh, with if you are listening to this, uh, the year that we record it, in 2020, then the odds are, uh, that you are going to be alive when regions of Earth become uninhabitable without technology. And we're going to see a rise of a, a, a new kind of inequality. Climate change will not really be an argument. It will be something that people all acknowledge. Uh, and people who deny it will be seeing the way that folks look at flat earthers today. People will be talking more about climate inequality. Because think about this. All right, so the Middle East, big like the uh, the empty quarter of Saudi Arabia, inhospitable already, very very hot, uh, very arid. It's tough to live there without technology, right? It's tough to live in a lot of places in the Middle East without technology. Now consider that the temperature increases that we're reaching like the what's called the wet bulb temperature increases that means that your uh the temperature is so hot that your insides are essentially cooking and will and you will be dead within hours uh if you are outside what does this mean for the people who can afford air conditioning versus the people who cannot it is literally a matter of life and death and it will happen within your lifetime. Hopefully not to you, hopefully not to any of your loved ones, but the math is there, and the math is is frightening. The next question, what does this mean for everybody? Because you might think, just like the people back uh, during the late Bronze Age, even if they were aware of Iceland, which I don't think they were, but uh, you may think, well, I live in... Um, I live in Chicago or something. I live in the interior of Canada. So I don't have to really worry about rising coastlines. And if the temperature rises, it'll still be livable because the area where I live is seasonally very cold. The, the problem still exists uh, because if these predictions are correct, then the next several decades may well be defined by periods of widespread violent conflict. You know what I mean? You don't have to be in an uninhabitable part of Florida for your for your day-to-day -day life to be affected by the collapse of the United States. I'm being very dystopian. I'm not saying that'll happen. Well, you you are being dystopian, but it's also 
it's almost the cold hard facts of what will happen if we can we continue to see a rise in the variability and extreme nature of the natural disasters that are headed our way because we're not just talking about flooding we're not just talking about drought we're talking about not being able to grow crops and not being able to feed everyone and it doesn't matter if there's uh, a Kroger or a what a Piggly Wiggly down the street from you if there are no suppliers of food getting food to that Piggly Wiggly. Um, but why the the aversion to accepting climate science? Like, if this literally means the downfall of, of civilization as we know it, e- even people in power and giant corporations that seem to be the ones that are pushing for these kinds of deregulations to sell more, you know, oil or whatever. Um, Even that seems short-sighted because if there's no people that are alive to drive cars, you know, who's going to buy their product? Like the whole focusing on today rather than tomorrow just seems, obviously it's unsustainable, but just seems short-sighted even in a greed way. Like, don't you want to make more money off people? Shouldn't we figure out how to sustain this crazy thing we call the human race so that we can keep selling them? It's a cost benefit analysis for sure, because uh, there are several conspiracies here. First, uh, many multinational conglomerations knew about this. They knew it was coming, right? Uh, They even funded some of the studies that proved it to be the case. And then they just didn't talk about it. Instead, they quietly began working on new revenue streams, right? Uh, we, it's tough because we're asking about self-interest. And whenever we ask about self-interest, we have to remember that every human being is capable of uh, very dangerous things. And one of the biggest, most dangerous things that every human being is capable of is phenomenal uh, rationalization. It's mental parkour, right? Uh, no one thinks they're the bad guy. I'm the, you know, like I'm one of those Captain Planet villain CEOs. And I'm I'm saying, well, really, what I'm doing is helping everybody, if you think about it, right? And and that's that's exactly that's exactly what happens. And it only works as long as those institutions are considered effective. Right. So in terms of a corporation or a company, the institution is considered effective if it remains profitable. So once it becomes less profitable uh, for these kind of like madcap uh, adventures to continue, then, of course, they're they're going to turn their sails and head to a different direction. What's what's happening now to answer your question directly, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion. What's happening now is, as far as like denial of climate science is a conspiracy because the people who funded the studies that revealed a lot of these problems went on to fund Bernays level PR campaigns to uh, to like denigrate anybody who was pointing out the facts or to shift the blame at the very least. When we talked about plastics and the idea of recycling, this all PR to shift the blame and the responsibility to consumers. Yeah. And a shout out to our episode with Amy Westervelt, where we went into depth on, on this very subject. Check that one out. If you want to learn more about that, what Ben was speaking about the companies knowing and willingly, uh, forgetting that those studies exist, their own studies 
that they were funding. Wait, what's that? It reminds me, there's a quote I saw online recently that was pretty great. Uh, it was just a fake headline where it said, uh, you can leave the door open a little bit, according to new study by mosquitoes. It's like, <laughs> we didn't write that, but that's like, you know, cats can have a little salami, according to new study by cats. <laughs> just for a treat. You just know, for, for a treat. For a treat. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's where we're at, you know. Um, and these conspiracies are, there are conspiracies that we can then logically assume are occurring because the the powers that be or the forces that were aware of this before the average Jane or John or Joe or whatever, uh, those forces are planning in self-interest. There are plans to make sure that these folks or their institutions or their loved ones or what have you are able to find a livable place, that they do always have clean water and AC. And I don't think we should have a problem with that. I just think it should apply to everybody. <laughs> and maybe that's Pollyanna or whatever, but the truth of the matter is we are going to see, we are already seeing, we are going to see a massive rise in migration. People like the ones you mentioned, Matt, the populations living in the equator, living on coastlines, are going to desperately search for an escape from increasingly uninhabitable regions of the world. And the governments in place, and you know what, let's throw in, let's throw in the, um, the, the corporations, let's, let's throw in whatever kind of governing structure you want. The ones that are in place, many will be rendered either powerless, corrupt, or ineffective in combating this. And when those institutions erode, we're going to lose faith in authority. Why, why should I, why should I pay taxes? The world's burning down. I already kind of feel that way. <laughs> I don't feel like I get much benefit from the tax that I pay, you know, in terms of direct impact in my day-to-day -day life. You know, I still have garbage health care. you know? I mean, I, I don't want to sound like some kind of bleeding heart liberal commie or something like that, but I honestly don't know where my tax money goes. And it certainly doesn't seem to go anywhere that actually helps me or my family. That's interesting that you, you say that, Noel, because what we, we have seen historically through some really interesting studies and an article that was published in Ars Technica about some studies, that we're looking at that correlation that we've been talking about this whole episode, natural disasters and how um, violence erupts because of or as par a partial effect of that natural disaster. We've seen that the way a government or a governing institution responds to a natural disaster and the effects of it can have a it can play a major role in the outcome even if there is a violent conflict that begins that response can temper it stop it or foment it can we just address the elephant in the room real quick i mean is a is a virus a natural disaster mhm mm so For we're, sure. we're we're in this and, and, and the way the government is or is not handling this and the people's positions on how it was or was not handled uh, is going to have an impact. Well, yeah, Matt, uh, Matt brought this up at the top with that uh, definition of what is a natural disaster. It's always been an epidemic or a pandemic. And again, the only option that human beings have is generally going to be to respond and attempt to mitigate. Matt, your your note 
brings uh, brings up two examples. I think we talked a little bit about this off air. Uh, there's an example in ancient Egypt. There's an example in um, relatively recent U.S. history. Well, you know, all U.S. history is relatively recent so far. Uh, FDR attempting to mitigate the Great Depression. Right? Unquestionably did some dictator stuff. It's just true. It doesn't matter if you love him or hate him. Uh, he did a lot of good things, and uh, he did a lot of things that were, governmentally speaking, illegal. If we look at older examples, then we see a really compelling one in Egypt during the 40s and the 30s BCE. Uh, we see a government response to mass starvation, to plague, to runaway inflation, which people have always hated, apparently. And Cleopatra, Queen, like, yes, that Cleopatra uh, was instrumental in quelling a revolt. Uh, she quelled this revolt uh, that was, you know, inarguably caused in part by natural disaster. She quelled it not by killing all the protesters or something like that. She quelled it by going, I get. I guess we would say she went protectionist. I guess we could say by our modern framework, which doesn't really apply, we could say that she took actions that would be described as socialist. So she was both authoritarian and socialist at the same time. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's it's weird to put those boxes in. But she offered grain relief, like gave people free food, and then she banned all exports of food, which is Huge, like imagine someone saying that. Imagine someone saying like the U.S. or China, any country, Guatemala, Bhutan, whatever. People wouldn't ban food exports. Well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely not. Because again, you're talking about money coming in, and what's the difference between money and grain? Right? You can eat grain. You got to trade that money for something. And if everybody that you have direct connection to is dealing with uh, drought conditions, or in their in their case, it was natural disasters that caused the Nile River to not flood as much. So, so that those floodwaters gener generally would be used to make the ground fertile for growing things. And when those floodwaters weren't coming in, it was very difficult to grow things. Almost impossible in a lot of places. And if you've got a stack of cash and no grain, and nobody's got grain, then you're out, you're out of luck. Um, so it was actually a really smart thing to do. And it, I love what you're talking about there, Ben, just how interesting it is to consider it a socialist move, but how smart it was and how it was really the only thing you could do. We've got grains here. It's just we, the state essentially controls them. And do we hold those for future need or power or do we begin doling them out and uh, helping everyone? Well, full, full dystopian scenario, like the coasts of the country like fall into the sea or become uninhabitable. Uh, and those people start going inland, but we can't sustain them. We, we, we don't have enough supplies to sustain them or enough infrastructure to sustain them. Do we like wall them out? Like what, what's, what, what's the worst case scenario in that situation? Oof. Well, uh, how, how far down the, barrel do you want to go man it's it's terrible medium dystopia but i okay. mean this is a thing like we we, yeah. we can't there isn't another california to put california in you know and if you can't live there where do you go 
Well, uh, it would, in the case of the U.S., it would require a dramatic fundamental change in the policy of the country uh, and maybe not maybe not a good one because I want to be clear with that e- Egyptian example from thousands of years ago uh, I, I'm not coming out and saying like socialism would be the answer because God knows there were a lot of a lot of countries that did go full socialist and it did not work out. We still haven't found the best solution for managing large groups of people. Medium dystopian would be something like, okay, let's say uh, parts of the Southwest, parts of the Southeast become uninhabitable without the constant implementation of technology. You always have to have the AC or you will die, something like that. So those people have to move somewhere. Uh, Let's make it medium high dystopia and say that also uh, the San Andreas Fault goes. And so we have one of the most populous states in the country uh, turned into a a, a chaotic disaster zone. All of those people from those three areas we just named, they have to go somewhere. The good news for the U.S. is that it has a huge, relatively sparsely populated interior. So if we're just thinking like rules and red tape aside, where those people go – they go inland and uh, they begin to populate places like South Dakota or North Dakota, you know, which only have a population in the hundreds of thousands right now. That's a really good point, Ben. I was thinking of that in the back of my mind, but okay, well, that's, I I like that. I mean, you know, obviously we don't want the fault to erupt or whatever, but I like that at least people aren't going to just drown or be walled out in no man's lands. But, the migration's only half the battle. I mean, I keep I hate going back to this all the time, but then food and water are your priorities. And you know, if you're if you're talking about problems with water, we've discussed before the water wars that are inevitable that are headed our way. If you look at something as recent as the past, I think month in a couple parts of Mexico where there are disputes between Uh, water trade essentially that's happening between the United States and Mexico where uh, certain areas of Texas send water to Mexico, certain areas of Mexico send water to Texas. And very recently, we're going to hopefully talk about this in an upcoming uh, episode, but a group, a, a group of farmers went to a dam in Mexico and took over the dam and they prevented water in the river from flowing to Texas so that they could keep it because they were experiencing drought. They they needed water. Well, heck, we have that with in Georgia with the tri-state water wars with Alabama and Florida. We've been seeing those conflicts for years. Well, There's yeah, only one river. Yeah. But in this case, we're talking about farmers who armed themselves to go take over a dam. No, right? that's, that's obviously an escalation. Yes. Well, that's what we're talking about here, yeah. though. Violent yeah. conflict. Yes. Where, no, no, where, yep. On the individual level, the decision is made if I do not act, myself or my family is in jeopardy. That's really what we're getting to here. That's when you, if the individual is deciding that and there are enough individuals, it becomes an uprising of a sort or a a revolt or a revolution or, you know, fighting back against something that is seen as uh, deciding to to wield control over a group, right? Um, it's just, 
It's scary. We also, we also in this uh, medium spicy dystopian scenario, uh, would inevitably see, regardless of which country this occurred in, we would inevitably see a rise in militarism. Maybe not for the reasons you think. First, uh, yes, obviously to protect against adjacent countries invading for increasingly sparse resources. But secondly, because it's a solid job for people to get. It provides shelter. It provides food. It provides a degree of safety from whatever crazy social programs will be instituted, right? Uh, and then the next thing we'll see, of course, which we're already seeing is uh, dehumanization of people based on their location, right? So like the, it, it has happened. It's not some nuts theory and it's not left wing or right wing. Like think about, I'm sure, every, I'm sure many of us listening had to read The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck based on real events, right? Uh, think about how dehumanized the people from Oklahoma were. The whole reason they were treated as less than human was because they were from Oklahoma at a time when being from Oklahoma sucked. They were called Okies, not people. It's hard to wrap my head around that. It is indeed. Hey, shout out to all you Okies out there. Yeah, oh, gosh. <laughs> well, Oklahoma is a uh, is a beautiful state. Honestly, I would... I don't know, guys. I miss traveling. Should we try to get back on the road before the collapse of civilization? This is such an optimistic episode. We're past the tipping point. Disasters are on the rise. The only question now is the same question as as uh, as the talking heads would say, uh, same as it ever was. How will humanity respond? What should we do? We've seen a bunch of different seen a bunch of different good faith attempts to preserve empires, civilizations, community units uh, during times of natural disaster, which we are in. Uh, we have not seen anything that's ever, that's 100% successful and reproducible. And that counts the far left stuff, the far right stuff, the crazy absolute power monarch just doing weird things. We don't have an answer. And we are standing on the train tracks arguing often semantics in public discourse while the train is coming for us and not slowing down. I, God, we need a positive note to end this on. How about this? Uh, Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plane. <laughs> where something's um and stuff and things and the wind and wind and then the rain. No droughts. Not hey, now. Hey, how you Maybe way. soon. It's okay. <laughs> You're doing fine, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Okay, L O H. That's all I got. Sorry. Perfect. Actually, perfect. Thank you, guys. That made my day personally. Uh, if you're listening, if you enjoyed that half as much as I did, then uh, I think I think this may be a high point of your day. We want to know what you think. By the way, uh, are you someone who has figured out? a response to these things again people too often get mired down in um, misleading labels and discourse natural disasters do not care really about any your personal information and your beliefs they do not matter really the only thing that matters immediately is your location but then as we see past a certain threshold 
your location doesn't super matter either. You'll still be affected. So what are what are the answers? We're asking for help. Yeah. Help us save, you know, humanity. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> cool. Um, you can find us and write to us and give us your thoughts in many a place across the internet. Firstly, we are on Facebook and Twitter at Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we are at Conspiracy Stuff Show. Yes, and you also can find us on our favorite place on the internet, the Here's Where It Gets Crazy Facebook group, where all you have to do is answer a simple question, uh, which is the naming one or, or two or three or anybody associated with the show. Uh, ben always says you can also just make us laugh, and I say you can make a reference to something. Let us know you're not a Russian bot. Um, whenever we approve people coming into the group, uh, these go away, and occasionally we'll all screenshot the ones that we think are, are noteworthy. This one here, uh, Matt Ben Knoll, security should be fixed. I was using Spanish knowing that Matt's wife is Cuban and that it might be indecipherable to a hacker or bot. Wow. Mm -hmm. Nice. How did, how did he know that? Have I talked about that? Oh, oh, this is actually, yeah. I, yeah. How much do people know about my life? Too, too much. Oh, Lord. Are you not on the blog? Do you not read the blog anymore? I, I see it sometimes. Uh, I try to stay off of Facebook, as I hope you do. But if you don't, and you do like Facebook, then go there. That's the right place to go. Uh, the blog is watchmatsleeping.org. It is a nonprofit. <laughs> Brought to you by Simply Safe Home Security. <laughs> I mean, I knew, I knew there were cameras all over the house. Uh, and my phone was bugged. But, geez. You didn't know about this one, did you, baby? <laughs> Thanks, guys. It really means a lot. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, we just want to uh, keep an eye on you. The NSA intern Steve gave us that idea. Uh, so shout out to him. Uh, and if you don't want to uh, interact on social media, as Matt said, we 100% get it. You can give us a call toll free. I, never, I remember when people used to say toll free back when there were tolls like that. Anyway, we're toll free. We're one 833 S-T-D-W-Y-T-K. Uh, speak your piece. Speak your mind. Give us suggestions for topics. React to this topic. Uh, I, You know, the time is yours, conspiracy realist. The only thing we ask is that you let us know whether or not you are comfortable with us using your name or your voice on the air. That's right. Hey, and guess what? I have the best news for you all. Uh, the YouTube channel is going strong right now. You will see new videos posted there all the time. And by the way, this weekend, as we're recording this, we realized that our documentary short one called Etched in Secret, the Georgia Guidestones was just hanging out on the old YouTube channel. And guess what? We published it. And if you want to watch that, you can head over to youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff right now. You can watch Noel's face talk about the Georgia Guidestones, and you can hear Ben's sweet voiceover that you've been missing. You can hear it right now. Just go to youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. Dare we say bearded face and dulcet tones. And while, while you're there, I got to tell you what's been making my day on that in particular is the, uh, all, all the crow comments, all the Corvid, not COVID stories uh, from, <laughs> from our, uh, our weird news piece which was really just an excuse for me to talk about crows, but share your crow stories. You guys, I, uh, speaking of crow stories, I dropped my son off at school this morning. Yeah. And as I'm leaving, I'm going through a little neighborhood to get out of the school area. 
a massive group of crows, Corvids. They were hanging out in the middle of the street. He, a ton. I'm, I'm going to estimate three dozen, four dozen. And they were all, it looked to be gathering food of some sort on the street because, you know, we've, we talked about this before, but there's an awareness that when a car's tires drive over nuts or certain things, they can get that meat out of there. So they'll drop it onto a street so that the cars can do their thing and they can get their food. They were doing that this morning. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, uh, you found a crow convention. You went to CrowCon <laughs> accidentally. I did. You know you sent them, Ben. Don't be coy. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of speaking of sending things, if you don't care for phones, if you don't care for social media, uh, and your Ouija board is broken or whatever, never fear. There is one way that you can always contact us 24-7. Send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.